if you think you can hear the ocean, then you definitely can. Guardian Australia's Perth Festival podcast today comes from Cottesloe Beach, the city's iconic beach where the ocean is currently lapping at my toes. It's early evening here, the sun has just gone down and the sky is a hundred shades of colour all bleeding down into the horizon. It's unbelievably beautiful. The sand is perfect white. Honestly, it's like, it's like your dream beach. I'm Vicky Frost and this is Guardian Australia's Perth Festival podcast. We'll be talking about Bali, Return Economy, a new exhibition at Fremantle Arts Centre, two pieces of very immersive theatre, Punch Drunks, The House Where Winter Lives, aimed at children, and You Once Said Yes, a single person theatrical experience that takes you around the streets of Northbridge. And we'll also be hearing from Alex Needham on Oakville River, who played the festival on Wednesday night. I'm joined by Van Badham. Hello. Jane Howard. Hi, Vicky. And Catherine Viner. Hello. Van, you've been out to see uh, You Once Said Yes, which is a very individual... Uh, you Once Said Yes is very individual in some ways, the way it's conceived. You, as the solo audience member, go through an arrival, a departure lounge scenario with a member of the cast. The cast is quite large. A lot of people are involved in the show. And then you are led through a promenade performance that you don't actually know the stations of. So you start off in this strange sort of departure lounge, they take away all your possessions, they give you a little backpack and off you go. And you're totally on your own for and this performance. Well you're we on your say. own but there's a constant procession of actors coming through and you're only unaccompanied for a few seconds between the stops. Although at one point they give you a headset. And it's promenade so it's about illuminating the local area, it's about getting you to look at the urban landscape in a different way. I got to know lovely North Bridge. But my issue with these kind of performances is that even though they're theoretically all about you because you're being performed to, the power dynamic is always an uncomfortable one for me. Like I feel a bit like, ah, my peasants have come to entertain me. But also that it's strangely impersonal because you know that if you act outside the boundaries of what's expected of you in that role, that the whole performance is going to collapse. And I find that really morally compromising and I'm not as good at playing along as perhaps casts of these things would like me to be. Stuart, you also went to see this. Sorry, we should introduce Stuart. Stuart is our videographer at Guardian Australia. He's been making gorgeous videos that you can see oh, thanks, at the Vicky. website. Uh, <laughs> and you went along to this to film it, actually, sort I of did. from a first-person point of view. So how did you find it? Uh, well, I think my experience was quite different to Van's because I, as you know, coming from the perspective of the everyman, I loved it. Um, I had a fantastic time. And I think um, that uh, perhaps... In a different way to then, I was able to suspend uh, my you know, my sense of disbelief in a, in a lot of the situations because obviously it is um, an unreal or a, or a sense of heightened reality which you get from uh, from the experience. Um, but uh, I was able to take myself past that and just, uh, I guess, allow myself to be a little bit more immersed in it as opposed to perhaps looking at, at it from a more critical perspective. I do think when you're watching something as an individual and you don't have an audience around you, I mean, this is the same, I thought, actually with Situation Rooms in a way, that it depends very much on how you react, how willing you are to go with it to an extent and how able you are to just totally give yourself to yeah, it. Yeah, ab absolutely. I, and I think that um, you've got a choice. I, I mean, the, the 
the whole play is called You Once Said Yes. So it, it is based on this choice. Do I say yes to these situations or do I, in fact, restrict myself? And that's sort of uh, part of, I think, the the journey which they're trying to push you on is to step outside your usual inclination to perhaps um, to palm certain situations. So there was one memorable incident where a homeless character came up to to speak to me my immediate reaction was to say sorry mate no I don't don't actually have any change but then that you know that was that was a snap uh, decision of mine but then when I realized that was part of the show I opened myself up I allowed myself to say yes and go on that journey and I wondered if perhaps if I'd done that more in real life what what might transpire so it does it, it, it forces you to ask those questions as well I guess and from one kind of immersive theatre to another, I think uh, Kath and Jane, you went today to see uh, Punch Drunk, uh, who have a children's production here, The House Where Winter Lives. How did you find it? Well, first of all, I was a bit worried because I've seen lots of Punch Drunk in the UK and it usually involves murder, rape, death, and that's just the audience. So um, I was quite concerned because it was a children's show. Anyway, it was really charming, really fun. The children seemed to be sort of delighted really in a very and the adults perhaps even more so um, I thought it was absolutely gorgeous yeah I don't really have anything to tell it was really beautiful the the children that were in our audience I mean, there were less kids than adults I think it was mostly us watching the kids watching the show um, and there was, they were just really into it there was one child who was so concerned about what was going to happen to Mr Winter she just kept yelling the whole show and they were very good at placating her and, and moving the show on but it was I, I had a beautiful time but I was I was surprised that you could turn something. I don't know. I guess I was surprised that you could do something that was so comprehensive for children. You know, I guess a lot of punch drunk is, has in the past has been about shock, and there was no shock. It was just sort of charm, and it worked fine. You know, I suppose kids just have that thing that they will just totally immerse themselves. They don't sort of necessarily stop and censor themselves. Yeah, yeah. You mean they believe anything? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How nice. They're the perfect punch drunk audience. <laughs> And Jane, I believe you talked to Punch Drunk afterwards, you did an interview with them. Yeah, and we spoke a lot about what it means to make immersive theatre and what it means particularly to make immersive theatre for children of that age. Hello. Oh, hang on. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to give you all one, but I haven't really got enough for everyone. And that would just be unfair, wouldn't it? If I gave, like, you one and then not you, and it'd just be awful. I should probably explain who I am. My name's Matthew Blake and I'm a co-creator and performer. I'm Fran Moulds, uh, co-creator and performer. Catherine McGar, performer. And, and we're, we're from Punch Drunks, the house where Winter lives. <laughs> anyway, I'm Mrs Winter, but you can all call me Wendy. Would you like to come inside? Yes, please. Oh. 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 Wendy, don't forget the welcome song. Do you know, I'd completely forgotten about the welcome song. <laughs> Terrible baby. I think I have, it's yeah. true. Welcome to our lovely home, the, the comfiest, coziest place we've known. Hidey, 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 hello, hello, hello. Hidey, 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 hello. So it we all, um, when we were creating it, had to really think about what we remembered, what was exciting for us. Um, at that age, could we have could we have memories of being five, and what was exciting about being five? And then, actually, Matt, you had had a niece that was the perfect age, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. So we, we asked her a lot, asking her <laughs> lots of questions about even simple things like what is winter, mm. and whether they knew what winter was. 
and obviously that was a worry when we came over to Australia because mm. a British winter is very different and this is the whole yeah. show is very much definitely a British winter mm. um, so that we were but they've received it fairly yeah. well haven't they actually yeah. so. there hasn't been any real um, astonishment at the snow no. I thought there might be a lot of like what is this <laughs> I think probably just it's it, well, British culture and American culture is so much part of our yeah. culture it's so yeah. top down and I think it's just probably more magical for Australian children because it is a complete fantasy yeah. wonderland it's you don't have that point of reference of it yeah. being winter yeah. yeah definitely yeah so what's the process of developing a show like this that is so dependent on that interaction of that young audience we, we we're really focused on the three-year-old like wh- how will this be for a three-year-old mm-hmm. um and that was a, a real priority to make sure that this was going to be okay for a three-year-old and then because there's so much improvisation as well, and it's so open, it can go in different directions. So actually, the shows are always very different. Mm. I think that's what's interesting about this show, is mm. that de- really depending on what age group you have, and if you have a group of three-year-olds, the show is very calm and very gentle. <laughs> and then if you have a group of six, seven-year-olds, possibly ten-year-olds sneaking in, <laughs> you know, then um, it's a different Quite thing. Quite boisterous, it's a, it's a very it? different Which is show. great, yeah. yeah. So it's good that it's that flexible. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask. Because sort of, you're constantly talking to the kids. There's this sort of... It has this idea that the kids are leading it, but of course it's very planned. How do you strike that balance of making the kids feel like they've got a real part in it, but you know, still have to get to the next step? And then the girl yeah. with today with the treasure chest. And yeah, yeah. No, well, that's brilliant. I mean, no one has actually said that before no. I think. so we just went with that because I mean usually it's like the sound is coming from the snow but if she hears it from the treasure chest let's go with the treasure mm. chest yeah, yeah it was and it's it's listening and agreeing and and adding but then mm. always so you've got yeah you always we've say got, yes yeah basically. we've got the the mm. script and we've got the structure and we've got certain things that we can do and then we know when we can riff a bit and let them kind of mm. fill in the answers and then mm. and yeah and if they shout out an answer which we need later mm. we kind of acknowledge it and it's all about I suppose mm. it's, it's when I go to the theatre as well I really like it when especially with immersive and interactive theatre that you have that if they ask you to do something then you get they get that acknowledgement and they yeah. accept it and they go great I've got that I've listened to mm. you and then so it's like that validation for those children yeah. that they're we're validating their answers and not just going shut up that's yeah. not what we need that's not the answer we need yet hang on and so. I think it's not fixed as well so that works quite well in the show that there you know there is certain things but we there's a journey we need to go on but we can go with whatever they give us actually and yeah. we're open it's quite a key thing that we're open to anything they say and that we want to hear what they're saying but definitely in the structuring of it there mm. was it was all sort of like we need these questions, we need to constantly be bringing them in. So that was a very conscious decision in the writing, sort of questions all the way. And I suppose, I mean, it's set up, isn't it? So like, the key's missing. Okay, we've got a really helpful tree. What can we ask a helpful tree, everybody? (laughs) Um. We have had some curveballs, though, with that question. (laughs) So that's, you know, that's also really fun when you sort of set up, right, the key's missing, what can we ask the helpful tree? And they say, Let's ask it if we can go <laughs> to, to the moon. moon. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah something all crazy, yeah. all sorts, had all sorts. And that's fun because then we've got to work a way of <laughs> yeah. getting it Sometimes back. Sometimes we ask the tree, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> can we go, can to, we the go to the moon? No, didn't like that question. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> right, is that what you were going to say as well? 
Right, excellent. That's a brilliant idea. Right, okay. Repeat this after me. Ready? Really helpful tree, really helpful tree. Really helpful tree, really helpful tree. Where did we leave the larder key? Where did we leave the larder key? Anything? No, it didn't work. What was your idea? Maybe so maybe we just need to say what we said a bit louder, asking it where you left the larder key. Yes. Yeah, because I think that's probably what's happened. You probably just dropped it somewhere and forgotten where it is. Okay, let's try that again, maybe with action, slightly louder. Grown-ups can join in as well. Ready? Really helpful tree. Really helpful tree. Where do we leave the larder key? Is it, what, is it, um, what is it about immersive theatre that really excites you? Why this rather than you know traditional practice? It inspires people a bit more. You know, like it's not so static, I suppose. And mm. I think it's become a bit like that. Going to the theatre, sitting down, you often see people falling asleep, sitting in a nice comfy chair in a dark room, they haven't sat down all day <laughs> or whatever. You know, like mm. people do fall asleep. Whereas there's no way you could fall asleep in a show like mm. this. Yeah, or an immersive theatre. As well, for this age group, three to six-year-olds, it, it, uh, it's sort of designed for their distractions. So they're, you know, they're, there's never really time in this show for people to get bored or distracted. For the children, to, you know, there's constantly something else. Mm. And I think that's what's exciting for that age group, to be immersed in a world where they, it suits them, it suits the, um, the playfulness and the distractions mm. that happen. And also, at, at between the ages of three and six, quite often they don't know the conventions of theatre that we mm. know, that we know right now we should be quiet, now we should applaud at the end, we should, you know, it's great that they don't know that because then it is more of a live experience mm. and it's not a show. <laughs> and also it was really funny when we were sat around the table with other audience members and then halfway through the, the scene they'd go, Dad, uh, are we going to see a show or something? It's, they just totally yeah. missed it, and that was really lovely yeah. that they entered yeah. into the world yeah. of the winters and they really enjoyed that. Winter Lives runs until the 23rd of February. Seems crazy to be talking about it on this beautiful beach actually, but very much worth taking your children if you can still get tickets. And you can read more about immersive theatre on the website. Go to theguardian.com slash au. Fan and Kath have both been out to Fremantle today to the Arts Centre there and you both saw Bali Return Economy which is an exhibition there. Uh, what did you make of it Van? Well I enjoyed it. I think as as an exhibition that looks at the cultural engagement between Australia and, and Bali and the unique culture of Bali, 
a place that apparently a thousand Western Australians get a plane to every day. I think it's really interesting because it does look at how the two cultures talk to and influence one another. And there's a really interesting collection of artists, none of whom had been on my radar, um, some of whom are West Australian expats living in Bali, a lot of Indonesian artists, others are local artists just investigating the question of Bali. And as a, a study in the iconography of a specific cultural conversation, it's really interesting. It doesn't mean it's all really great art, it doesn't mean that it's all high practice, um, high skill level, you know, pure avant-garde creation. But there are fascinating cultural comments that are being made about commercialisation, commodification, the tourist industry, the political situation in Indonesia, and also how Bali has created itself as a, a fantasy for its own tourists, as opposed to a place that has an inherent culture that people come to sample. Some of the pieces, I think, are incredibly strong. There's a beautiful photograph called Aussie Girls. Oh, my God. That was amazing. And, That's and standout. It, absolutely synthesizes the Australia-Indonesia relationship through it's Bali. So it's like six or so eight um, Australian teenage girls in a kind of jacuzzi hot tub type thing. Um, some of them have got nice faces but they've all got privileged overindulged faces to me. Sorry I don't know if that's what they're trying to say. I don't know if that's what the, the photographer's trying to say but they're just looking so coolly and with such kind of disdain at the camera and you feel that they're looking at disdain and at Bali as well that's the but it's a superb image yeah it's, it's a complete standout yeah it's a standout image there's also a collection of the tourist uh, ephemera that you buy when you're there beer holders and balloons and the curator explained to me that this is uh, this whole industry is sort of tourist souvenirs that reflect on Bali that uh, don't represent the culture but are there to feed the expectation of what Bali is like and the tourists and it's arranged there's this like massive sort of totemic wall hanging of these shiny objects and shiny clothes and bits of shiny foil and that was another piece in it. Other pieces are less successful, there are a couple of costumes that don't really work but it's a fascinating exhibition. And what did you make of it Kathy on that picture, that main picture? So I like the idea and I like the sort of concept, they make quite a big thing of the fact that Western Australia is nearer to Bali than it is to Sydney. Um, but sort of beyond that physical distance, I wasn't really convinced that there was enough of a kind of intersection for um, a two-way story. And I think it's interesting that all of Van's examples were of kind of the effect Australia's had on Bali. And I think that's what the exhibition was about, rather than any signs of anything here that Bali had done here. And then, um, you know, I, I like that. I mean, I think that the, those bits were interesting. There was a, there was a quite a good um, uh, poster that drew on the fact that the word globalization has the word Bali in it. Um, and it, which I, I sort of like that, literal, but you know, I liked it. No I in team, it's that kind of thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you something else that was interesting about the exhibition is that the, the curator told me that it was one of their largest opening weekends ever. They had 2,000 people through the gates, which for free, like the Fremantle Arts Centre, which is a beautiful place, by the way, it's in the grounds of an old mental institution, lovely gardens and quite eclectic and gorgeous. But the Indonesian community in Western Australia came out for it and they were unaware of the size of that community and the fact that it was quite culturally engaged. So I was speaking to that conversation, like maybe what the exhibition has done has opened a dialogue to say, well, if we have an Indonesian community and you're engaging with our approach to Indonesian art, maybe that's a conversation that can continue. But none of that was in the exhibition. No, I, I concur, yes. that is not in the exhibition. And while we were all in the theatre, Alex Needham was out at a gig in the Chevron Festival Gardens. So I saw Ockerville River play yesterday at the Chevron Festival Garden, which is a great space. Um, there's a sort of an amphitheatre 
um, with a lot of seats. And then beyond that, it's all kind of made out in classic festival style with uh, sculptures of like organs and things made of junk and pop-up bars. Very nice atmosphere and it's a very nice night as well. And um, I was looking forward to Ockville River. I'd not seen them before. Um, particularly after an interview he gave with us where he said that uh, Radiohead had bad lyrics. Um, and I did enjoy the show. I thought the audience response was quite subdued. And what I think about it was that they're sort of, they've, they've been going an awfully long time by um, the standard of most bands of their ilk. They, they um, got together in 1998, I think. So um, they're over 15 years old and this last album all, was almost kind of a breakthrough in America I think it got into the charts at number eight so they're on the way up um, but it seems to me that they're kind of divided between wanting to do a Bruce Springsteen or Arcade Fire kind of thing of really going for it sort of sweeping the crowd along being very anthemic and telling kind of stories of America and also partly wanting to maintain a kind of cultiness a sort of hipsterness you know they're very clever they're named after a short story by Tolstoy's granddaughter and um and I think there was a little bit of a tension between those two impulses they've also got this new slightly 80s direction as well they played a lot of 80s songs before they came on like um Seven Wonders by Fleetwood Mac and Self Control by Laura Branigan but I was thinking when they when they came on, if only their own songs had the kind of unabashed sort of anthemic quality of the records they played before, you know, re- really records that sort of really went for it and were kind of clever and technically advanced for their time, but also very kind of all embracing. Um, I thought that the band they've got the they've got the potential to be all embracing, but I don't think they quite want to go there, and it made it a little bit of a frustrating experience for me. I enjoyed it, but it w- could have been a lot more. It didn't really take me out of the moment. And um, I think that's probably what they've got the potential to do. And you can read Alex's review of the show in full at Guardian Australia's Perth Festival live blog and on the website. Thank you all for coming out to Cottesloe Beach. What a terrible chore that has been. So beautiful. Uh, thank you very much and goodbye, Kath Miner. Goodbye. Stuart Edgeworth. Goodbye, thanks, Vicky. Van Badham. Goodbye, everyone. And Jane Howard. I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll see you again tomorrow for another Perth Festival podcast. But in the meantime, keep up to date by visiting the website for audio, text, video and pictures, as well as our daily live blog. <laughs>